Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. My rule of thumb is... If someone is going to have to die or be poisoned in a restaurant, I will make that one up. (laughs) Oh, that's very kind of you. (laughs) Yes. Well, I don't want to get sued either. I'm Robin Sessingham, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. There's something cooking in Key West, and we're not just talking about the key lime pie. We'll hear from the author of some murder mysteries for foodies. Plus, a Florida chef tells us how to celebrate fall foods while it's still hot outside. It's time for Sweet Potatoes. Support for The Zest comes from Seitenbacher brand natural foods like muesli cereals, oils, oatmeal, energy bars, gluten-free fruit gummies for the kids, organic coffee, and more. Available in supermarkets, health food stores, or online at seitenbacher.com. Lucy Burdett is the author of a series of mysteries starring a food critic living in Key West. Her newest is A Deadly Feast, the ninth book in the series, which all have fun names like Fatal Reservations and Killer Takeout. And another one in which food critic and amateur sleuth Haley Snow stumbles upon crime and mayhem and great recipes in America's southernmost city. Lucy Burdett is the pen name for Roberta Islib, and she spoke to the Zest contributor Janet Keeler. So why Key West? When I was looking for a series to write, I talked with an editor who was looking for uh, someone to write a series about a food critic, using a food critic as the protagonist, and preferably in in a southern location. So at that time, my husband and I had started spending a lot of time in Key West, and it's just such a quirky, wonderful place that it seemed like the perfect background and they agreed so that's how it got started well the the wonderful thing about the book is that you know for anybody who's been to key west you recognize a lot of places because you use the yeah the real place names uh you know like mel fisher museum mallory square the truman annex uh all kinds of places like that so what's the reaction you get from readers when you do that Well, of course, I've gotten a few people who've written to say I was going the wrong direction down a one-way street (laughs) or (laughs) that sort of thing, um, which we try not to, we try not to make those mistakes. But, um, people who are fans of Key West, and there are some rabid fans of that little town, um, love these books because it brings them back to the setting that they've spent so many great hours in. I I use a lot of real restaurants. My rule of thumb is 
if someone is going to have to die or be poisoned in a restaurant, I will make that one up. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't want to get sued either. <laughs> so this book, this this is a, a Deadly Feast, is number nine in the series. And I have to say, there's a lot of funny and fun names of some of the other books. Killer Takeout, Murder with Ganache. Topped Chef, all very fun names. And this one this one takes place around Thanksgiving, correct? That's right. So yes. the, the, the recipes, and, you know, it's nice to read a mystery book with recipes in the back, almost reads uh, like a Thanksgiving menu except for no turkey. But it certainly, it certainly no turkey, you could no. definitely use some of these recipes for, for your own Thanksgiving, uh, like the pecan pie bars and uh, the cornbread sausage, sausage stuffing. So that's kind of a lot of fun. And Haley Snow's holiday pumpkin pie. So tell me about Haley Snow, the, our food critic. So the first book was called An Appetite for Murder, and uh, I had I invented Haley Snow, who is in her 20s, who is kind of at loose ends, and she's from New Jersey. She meets uh, a man in a, in a bookstore who is buying a Mary Higgins Clark book for his mother, and they get to chatting. Uh, she falls madly in love, or so she thinks, and they communicate back and forth, and a- after not too much time, he says, why don't you come down and move in with me, which we all know would be a disaster, but she doesn't know that. So she does, and as the book opens, uh, he has just kicked her out, and she has no job, no place to live, and um, so she starts from a, a low point and gradually gets her footing, makes friends, lands this job at Key Zest, and um, becomes a regular. So it's been a lot of fun to to watch her grow. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. It's fun to have a character that goes from book to book. And I have to say here at the Zest podcast, we love the name of the magazine. I know, that's Key so Zest. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So... Do you, do you have a lot more books under your belt here? Are you, th- are you thinking about more, I- always thinking about more ideas? Well, I have um, The Key Lime Crime is the 10th book that I just sent in. It's finished. It will have to be edited and so on. But that one will be out next July. And you have, obviously, you have, you know, as a, as a writer, you have a relationship with Haley Snow, don't you? Thinking about her a lot, probably. Oh, I love these characters. This And this is how I start each book, not so much um, with the murder itself or the victim or the suspects, but with what's happening in Haley's life. She's the main character, so of course she's the, the one that I focus the most on, but also uh, with her friends. In that first book, um, for example, her mother was not in the picture at all. But in the second book, Death and Four Courses, Haley invites her down to a food writing conference. This actually took place, and I attended it, so it's it's set there. And the mother likes it so well that she's gradually moved down, and by this A Deadly Feast, she's living there full-time with a catering job. So I I don't know this ahead of time, but it starts to evolve from the from the last book to the one that I'm writing, so it's really a lot of fun. Well, let's get back a little bit to talk about to talk about food. So, have you ever actually have you been a food critic? Have you been a food writer? 
No is the short is the <laughs> short answer to that. I love to eat, and I uh, I I like to cook. I wouldn't say I love to cook, but I love to eat, so I'm willing to cook. So when this editor suggested, could you write a, a food critic? I thought, why not? And so I what I've done is um, read the books of all the critics, the Frank Bruni and Ruth Reitel and all the big uh, food critics to find out uh, how they think about food and what it was like to be a critic. And of course, Haley's in a different position than a New York Times food critic would be because she uh, people know who she is, so she doesn't have to hide her identity. And she's probably gentler with her reviews than um, than an actual critic would be. Oh, I think that sometimes is true, too, for a food critic at a, a smaller publication. You know the people a little bit more, and you don't want to particularly shut down a mom and pop. And, you know, when no, you're writing you for the New York Times. No, you have to live there. Yeah. Correct. And when you're writing for the New York Times, it's, a, it's, it's not that they want to shut restaurants down either, but it's a, it's just a different animal. I, I wonder, too, the, each chapter of um, of A Deadly Feast opens up with a quote, and a lot of them are from food writers. So I suspected exactly what you said, that you're a you're a student of food writing for sure, because you, you quote MFK Fisher and Pete Wells from the New York Times and, and, so, and, and many others. So I suspected that, that you were a, a, stu- a student of food writing. I, I love reading about food. Uh, there is a um, best food writing anthology that's published every year, so I always get that and often find quotes in there. But the other fun thing is just reading for pleasure, both mysteries and non-mysteries, you find out that some authors talk about food and it's part of their stories, and others, the characters might as well not be eating so, for example, um, Anne Cleves, who's, uh, who's a Scottish-English uh, mystery author who's um, had two TV shows, she has some of the most amazing quotes because w- she doesn't do a lot with food, but what she does shows exactly what's happening with her characters, what they're feeling, the rage, the fear. It's, it's really fascinating to watch. Well, I think that's true that, you know, you find food in a lot of in a lot of publications, a lot of stories that aren't particularly billed as food writing because it's right. such a big part of our lives. It's a good way to tell a story through food, even it if is. it's not, you know, classic food writing. Do you have um you said you 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 know, you like to eat and sometimes like to cook. Do you have favorite cookbooks of your own? It's uh I have uh shelves and shelves of cookbooks and I, I'm embarrassed to say a lot of times I end up going online these days. It's just so easy to type in what you want to cook and all these recipes come up and then you can browse through and tweak like mad. Um, but I have all, all the uh, old standards, the joy of cooking and the silver palette and well, I could go on and on, but <laughs> Do you um since since you like to eat out and you spend at least at least half your year in in Key West and the other half up in Connecticut, right? Right. So where where do you like to eat out in Key West? Key West is now chock a block with good restaurants. Um and the, one thing is they change fairly often. It it's such a tough business to be in to uh, to keep the the people employed and a place like Key West where the biggest season is in the winter 
and business slacks off, so you can lose people um, with, with, that, with that change. Um, one of my favorites is called Seven Fish, so everybody's going to rush out to <laughs> go to that one. But it's not, uh, it's not a hole in the wall, but it's um, just absolutely reliably excellent. And fish. Yes, which you really want to eat when you're in Key West, right. for sure. For but there's sure. now a super, um, there's now a super pizza place. There are burrito places. There's the coffee is fantastic in Key West. I could go on and on. It's a it's it's a it's a great place to visit. It's so much it's so much fun yeah. with the history and everything. And now, of course, the food. It's 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 elevated a lot, isn't it? So yes. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me today. Um, and I look forward to Key Lime Crime. And that's the title of the next one, correct? Key Lime Crime? That's the, yes. And that'll that's be a good one. <laughs> so you're writing about one a year, I guess. Uh, it's actually been two a year mm. for the last couple years. I'm also finishing something that I was telling the uh, producer on the way in, finishing something that's not a mystery. And there is a scene at, at, where the character is stumbling through a radio show. So this is perfect. I've got all the details. <laughs> there you go. Everything is everything is fodder for a Everything block. is material. It's exhausting. <laughs> well, I really look forward to, to reading about the next place you're going to hide a body. I think that'll be that'll, that'll be fun. <laughs> that was Roberta Islib, also known as Lucy Burdett, talking to our contributor Janet Keeler. We've got a recipe from a daily feast: decadent lobster macaroni and cheese, and you can find it on our website, thezestpodcast.com. The change of seasons is sort of a state of mind in Florida. It's still in the mid-90s, but when the temperature gets down into the 80s, and it will eventually, we call it fall and get out our boots and our scarves. And we want to mark the beginning of autumn with our food choices, too. The Zest producer, Dalia Cologne, talked to Richard Anderson, the executive chef at Tampa's Oxford Exchange restaurant, about how to take some traditional fall foods and lighten them up for Florida. Florida, we have, you know, of course there's fall and spring and all that stuff, but it just blurs one right into the other. And then by the time you're like, I think tonight's the night I'm going to turn the heat on, it's warm again the next day. But yeah, at the, at the restaurant, I make seasonal menu changes. And, and once fall comes, maybe lean more towards like some of the comfort foods, tomato soups and kind of warm uh, chilies and things like that, where they're not going to order so much in June. I do the same thing. Like as soon as it's 70 degrees, I'm like, I'm wearing my boots and my turtleneck and I'm making chili, yeah. but it's still hot outside. It's still hot out, but it's December, so you feel like it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a way we can adapt some of those recipes? Especially, like, I'm from Ohio. I have albums, you know, I store recipes in photo albums yeah. from my mom, and I have all these recipes that are from up north. Yeah. We have a lot of people who come here seasonally. How can we adapt some of those heavier recipes for Florida? I, I think just lighten up the ingredients. I think if it's more of the full comfort foods and maybe you're into more of like the gravies and the creams and the cheeses and season hits and you want to lighten it up a little bit, go more broths and citrus and chilies and fresh herb. And you can kind of play off the same recipe, but scaling back some of the heaviness and maybe some of the calories and, and lightening it all up, adding more citrus, like I said. Are there any particular foods that you would be growing in your garden 
as it gets a little bit cooler out? Once this extreme heat kind of goes away, you can plant all your radishes, your lettuces. I've grown tons of lettuces, Swiss shards, all that kind of works really well. It can still be hot, but all that humidity's down. Maybe the high is 80 and not 94. It's a cold snap. Yeah, literally, winter snap. It's a lot nicer outside, especially in the evening hours, so it's more pleasurable to be out there messing around in your garden uh, at the end of the day. I love growing root vegetables. I love growing carrots, uh, radishes. I love potato. I kind of grew potatoes successfully once. Not They were a little funky shape. Once. <laughs> yeah, one time they had a little bit of, uh, we'll call it rusticness to them. But definitely lettuces and green beans and cucumbers grow really well. I think all the stuff that requires a lot of water seems to do well because the heat's not just sucking them all dry. So cucumbers, I always thought, did pretty well. Uh, and I don't even know if it's by the book, if it's the right time according to the calendar, but it's worked well for me. Right, you're no farmer's almanac, but yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't, I'd be lying to everybody if I said I know exactly what grows in what month. But the general idea for me personally is once the heat dies down, I, I just think it opens up tons and we don't have to worry about freezes too often. So I think we can cruise right through the winter months. I love root vegetables and to me they are so fall. Yeah. I usually just roast them with olive oil and salt. But do you have any more, maybe creative ideas? Creative, maybe, but I, you're on the right page. I mean, once potatoes are awesome and parsnips and carrots, and I, I think that is the best way to do it. I think just roasting with olive oil, fresh herb, thyme, salt, pepper. Uh, I think just letting them be as good as they are. That's, that's always been my like, little key to success is once it's good, all I'm looking to do is just accent it a little bit. I'm not trying to change it. I'm not trying to cover it. I'm not trying to hide it. Um, if it's really good and I decide that's what I want for dinner, then I'm going to let that be its own thing. I love that. Let them be as good as they are. Someone needs to like cross stitch that onto a pillow. I do feel like we don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've come across this when you're talking to people. We feel like we have to do a lot of stuff to the food or we didn't really cook it. We don't deserve credit for it. What's your take on that? That's my whole direction as a chef. I, I, Maybe that's some of the keys to where I've been successful in my career is I, I've always felt knowing when to stop is the most important part of the job. And once something is good, uh, that's it for me. All, all I'm looking to do is just highlight that a little bit and, and just pump the brakes. And if you got something that's really good already that you want to sit down and eat a whole plateful, well, your job is now done. You don't have to continue building and plating and all, all this kind of extras. I, th- I think at a certain point, it's a little bit of a waste and a misdirection. Okay, this makes me think of Thanksgiving when yeah. we're talking about fall foods okay. because I feel like Stay you've got Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, but think Thanksgiving. Go to your go to your happy okay. place. Football is on. It's cold outside ish. You're watching the parade. I feel like Thanksgiving is one of those occasions when we we overdo the food. Like we have the sweet potatoes with the marshmallows on top and the green bean casserole and with the weird crunchy Uh stuff. Can you offer any suggestions to kind of lighten up those classics? What do you, do you make Thanksgiving dinner? I do, even if it's just four people at my house. We still make Thanksgiving depending on the amount of people we need. We scale it up or scale it back, uh, but we always do a really good Thanksgiving dinner. But personally, I kind of lean just more towards healthier eating. I love the indulgence and I'll splurge and eat burgers and stuff too, but I definitely don't like covering my green beans in, you know, mushroom soup and fried onions. I love good either sauteed green beans or roasted with tomatoes and garlic and lemon. I love all the classics of Thanksgiving, but I I personally lean towards lightening all of them up a little bit. 
All right, how do we lighten up the sweet potatoes with the marshmallows? You don't add the marshmallows. Sweet potatoes are awesome, and if you roast them in their skins low and slow and let the, you'll almost notice when you do it right, they almost have like a syrup that comes out of the skin. Uh, they turn into basically baby food. Once the sweet potatoes reach that baby food, they are so sweet. They're like candy already. I can't handle them with brown sugar and marshmallows. Then it's too sweet for me. Yeah. So if I'm going to make mashed sweet potatoes, once they get there, it's just some butter, some salt, a little bit of uh, you know maybe coconut milk if you don't do dairy, and they're ready to be whipped and mashed and served. Last thing, yeah. turkey. What do you do to your turkey? I gave up and I just buy the frozen pre-seasoned one. But in my defense, I am a vegetarian, so I'm not about that life True. of like tasting. I'm not tasting it. I just need to know. And it's so high pressure. You wake up at the crack of dawn. You stick your hand in the cavity and you're doing all this gross stuff and you have to wait like hours and hours before you even find out if you did a good job the turkey is what stresses everybody out and it's really not that difficult always brine your turkey that's my biggest pointer brine your turkey and all that is is a water salt and sugar solution so it helps put in seasoning into your turkey and moisture and drive some of that sodium into this into the turkey it just gives you a much more moist bird once it's all done but season it roast it simply with a little bit of butter on the outside i personally like to do it really low and slow until i get it close to the internal temp at like 165 170 and then turn the heat up for the last 30 minutes baste it in butter and then get all my color on it i think a lot of people start it too high and they get the bird you know perfectly browned and it's still raw in the center it's like well how am i going to get this thing from not burned to cooked in the center i do it opposite i'll go really low and slow like 250 bring that thing up for a few hours and as it's getting closer and closer start cranking the heat up to like 375 butter it rotate it butter it rotate it and then once you get that golden color hopefully it's matching the color to when it's about done on the inside yeah, it's like it's midnight right, it sounds complicated it's, it's pretty easy you've already eaten the pie and it's like okay turkey's finally done over. yeah everyone's eating pizza it's over <laughs> they ordered a yeah. pizza well chef richard anderson of oxford exchange thank you so much you're welcome this is fun thanks That was Richard Anderson, the executive chef at Oxford Exchange Restaurant, speaking to the Zest producer, Delia Cologne. That's it for our show today. How are you liking the Zest? Do you have an idea for a story? You can reach me at robin at thezestpodcast.com. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Search for us wherever you get your podcasts or check us out on thezestpodcast.com. I'm Robin Sussingham. Delia Cologne and I produce The Zest with help from Mark Hayes, Megan Tremble, and Craig George. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media.